the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And joining me here this afternoon to discuss Arsenal's very dramatic draw at Anfield um, is actually a special guest. So we're, we're unfortunately, we're unable to um, talk with Monty because he went out last... Where did he go? He posted the message on the group. He said he was going to be at Printworks and he's got this yearly, um, I guess you could call it, ritual where he attends print works and the message says can't today as i'm at print works i'll be off me tits by the time the game kicks off so he's probably half asleep by now um but luckily we've got a very special guest who's uh kindly um decided who, who've, who's kindly agreed to to, to come in lastminute.com and that's um adam keys uh, for many of you who are listening, you'll know Adam from uh, Twitter. He's got a, a reasonably um, nicely sized Twitter page. And he himself um, is, a con- is a content creator as well as a blogger. Uh, he's got his own blog, but he also writes for, uh, quite recently, Pain in the Arsenal. So, um, Adam, welcome. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing this uh, yeah. afternoon? I'm good. So thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan of the pod. So so yeah, it's nice to come on and chat Arsenal and uh, speak to another obsessed fan just like me. Well, look, you know what? A, what a what a game to discuss, um, and what a, what a kind of pod to come on. There's so much to digest and unravel. Um, but first, let's let's talk about yourself because I mean, before uh, this pod. You know, me and you have been chatting a handful of times. Um, I, I think I reached out a while back just to ask whether you wanted to come on as a guest. Uh, and then quite recently, um, I should also mention for those uh, loyal listeners who've been listening to the show for a while, um, we, we uh, Sham was part of the show um, and he's kind of left us to do his own show but also because of the time difference he lives in the states it's really difficult to kind of get him on the show um because of the time difference and obviously with work and other uh, commitments so unfortunately sham (laughs) won't be part of the show anymore but we are looking for a new co-host and um i did reach out to adam and adam was really quite interested so um depending on how this goes if adam still wants to you know be part of the, the the roster then you'll be hearing a lot more from him. But yeah, Adam, tell us a little bit about your journey, um, you know, to the world of Arsenal. How did you get started as a fan? What when was what's the earliest memory um, that you can think of? Yeah, give us a little synopsis. Uh, well, as you can probably tell, I'm not from North London, so uh, I'm Irish, and uh, my dad is also an Arsenal fan. So he was one of the the '71 clan that kind of got sucked into Arsenal and back in back in the 70s, 80s, even before that, the club had a huge Irish connection with players like Pat Rice, who obviously stayed at the club for a long, long time. And uh, then he passed that obsession on to me. So I've been a fan since the mid-90s. 
probably earliest memories, Mark Overmars. And um, I think the player that really, really grabbed like my sort of love for the club was Robert Perez. Mm. So I think he was just the one that kind of took my love of the club to a whole new level whenever he came in. Just the way he played and then obviously Thierry Henry. So, uh, but yeah, my first game was United Arsenal in December, maybe November 2001. It was a 3-1 win and Barthez spilled through two through, through his legs and Henri tapped him in. So yeah, incredible night at Highbury. And we went on to win the league that year. So yeah, I've been a fan ever since. And I've dabbled in writing about Arsenal a lot over the years. And um, then I spent far too much time on Twitter talking to other football fans, which is obviously how we've met each other. Mm, yeah, listen, fascinating story. Um, it's always lovely to hear, you know, each individual's kind of journey to uh this magnificent amazing club which connects so many millions around the world um see i didn't actually know that you were irish i i i went under the assumption that you were london based because your profile picture is of you um at the emirates stupidly i don't know why i made that assumption but um yeah big big community as well in ireland um because of you know the 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 70s and the number of legendary um ex-irish players so yeah, once again, really, really good to have you here. Um, and now, I guess, is a good time to look back to yesterday um, and just to give a, a general feeling about the outcome of the result. Um, how how did you feel once the final whistle went? Obviously, we know you know it ended 2-2. We got a point. We were 2-0 up. And then, to, I, I mean, I don't want to put it in these particular words. We let that lead slide or we lost a 2-0 lead. Uh, effectively, you know, we were 2-0 up and then they came back to make it 2-2. Um, but that final whistle went, what was your sort of immediate aftermath thoughts and feelings? Um, immediately after, I think I felt like we had let a two-goal slip go, a two-goal lead slip. And I think I've calmed down over the last... 12 hours and probably even half an hour after the game I thought we had kind of thrown it away I think it was the the way we lost control of the game after being so dominant for the first 40 minutes however once I I guess I thought about it there's no getting away from the fact Liverpool were excellent and the way they came at us the high line they played the way they pressed us my, my heart was pounding the whole way through the game I I, I Felt like I covered every blade of grass, kicked every ball out there, and it was it was a nerve wracking afternoon. Uh, what about you? How did you feel? Yeah, I have to say I was outraged following the final whistle. Like, you know, I I, I hate the narrative that everyone is against Arsenal, and because I do truly believe that we are the masters of our own destiny. But watching that game, and I was really keen to watch it again, actually, didn't get the opportunity. I think I will do after the pod. But I was really convinced that the level of officiating and the Premier League were doing absolutely everything in their power to make sure that Liverpool came back into that game. Um, and obviously, we're going to sort of dissect everything and I'm going to give my take on why I think, um, you know, we were unfairly treated in that game 
Um, and, you know, a lot of people listening to this might think, well, it's a cop out to blame the officials or to nitpick. Um, but it, it was just so blatantly obvious, like some of the moments in the game where every decision was going for Liverpool, every soft little touch. And I think that that was the pivotal moment um, where, you know, they swung the momentum back to them. It was where Arsenal just weren't able to get into a rhythm because every time we got near them or every time it got a little bit physical, decisions would go for them. So final whistle, I was I was really, really annoyed. Um, and if you had asked me at the beginning of the game what I would have taken from Anfield, it would have been a point. That's what I was saying. I would I would have taken a point at Anfield. I'd love to take a point at the Etihad um, and even potentially Newcastle. So Because those are really free, tough games. But the nature of the game the way that it played out it was clear that we were the dominant side and it was clear that we were all over them in that opening you know 30 35 minutes um and yeah there were a few moments where the momentum shifted um and again Paul Tierney we know the formidable officiating when when, when he's when he's officiating our games we know what he's like but yeah, yesterday was just unreal. I couldn't for the life of me understand how, you know, it was being officiated at that level at such a blatantly obvious kind of way as well. Um, I know, I know, I know, you know, a lot of you listening going to be, you know, saying, oh, Farhan, you know, give it a rest. Um, let's be fair. And look, to be fair to Liverpool, in the second half, they were really, really good we weren't good enough. I still stand by the, you know, the, the, the reasoning though from, from the first half. I think that the level of officiating and, and, and you know, the favouritism were carried through, was carried through in, into the second half. Um, and my wife, God bless her, you know, he, she, she doesn't enjoy weekends because of the fact that Arsenal takes over most of it, especially if we lose, then that weekend is, is over. But she was, she was watching a portion of the game with me and even she could see the bias, you know, not not to mention the Sky Sports punditry and commentary biasness, but just, you know, her as a kind of a third party watching the game and noticing little things. The referee was giving, um, you know, fouls for very soft, very soft fouls for them and for us, absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, and just, yeah. just on that, Farhan, one of the things that I think, just as much as the things he was given were the things that he wasn't given. And that's what was really frustrating me was things that you would normally get a free kick for. He it just waving play on and it, it became very difficult to know what was a foul and what wasn't. So that's where my frustration was really coming. It was just a complete lack of consistency all yeah. over the pitch. Yeah, and actually, you know, a, a, a lot of I've seen a lot of you know post analysis on the Shaka situation, but it just amazes me that nobody picked up the fact that Shaka was initially fouled by Kiate, Kiate um, or Kunate. It's Kunate, isn't it? Yeah, Kunate. Right, he was initially fouled by Kunate, and the referee didn't give anything for that. You know, Shaka was amazed by it. He obviously got up and did what he did. I felt like it. You know, it was a classic. Granite Shaka moment, but understandably, I could sense the frustration. And what was even more poignant was the end of the half, where it wasn't just Granite Shaka losing his head; it was also Gabriel Jesus. 
Jesus was yeah. outraged and he was, you know, he was plastering himself against Liverpool bodies because what else could he do? It was like a brawl at the end of that first half. So that for me, you know, summarised everything I needed to kind of know about the officiating. But um, yeah, look, we, we'll talk about all of that. Let's start off by chatting about the starting lineup because there was a lot of, um, I guess, discussion online about whether William Saliba would return to the starting lineup or not. And then we were... Um, yeah, we were, we were given the the confirmation that he wasn't going to be in the starting lineup or on the bench. So has there been any news? Because I haven't actually watched Arteta's post-match press conference, um, but I know he likes to keep his cards very close to him. Have you heard anything about William Saliba or is there any, you know, whispers about what's going on? Because if he's not even in the on the bench, then it it suggests that it could be a lengthy injury. I haven't heard anything. So I have been looking for news, but I haven't heard anything. And I think Arteta has been very, very guarded with them, which maybe suggests that what Arteta is saying, that he doesn't have a return date, is actually true. Because I think the club would have done everything. I know going into the game, there were the Arsenal detectives were out on Twitter there was a picture of Gabriel Jesus put on and there was an arm in the background that looked very like Saliba. Obviously, the Twitter detectives thought it was him, but clearly he didn't make it in time. So, yeah, I, I've seen and heard very, very little about Saliba's return, which probably suggests that they're taking it day by day. Mm. And do you think it might be a case that, you know, Arteta's, he doesn't want to say anything... It, I mean, I, I'm just thinking from a worst case scenario point of view, but if it is the case that he's out for a very long time, let's say, you know, a month, he doesn't want to release that bit of news because it'll be panic stations everywhere. You know, fans will go into meltdown and he just doesn't want to create that kind of um, vibe at the minute. Yeah, I guess possibly. However, I always think when it's a longer term injury and you know a player's not going to be back, you're best getting that news out there quick. Hmm. because it gives people time to get over their chaos and their meltdown. Like we, we saw it when Jesus was announced it was going to be out around three months, and there was mass panic. Arsenal need to sign a striker. We can't rely on Nkeria, which it, we're still top after he was out well, over four months in the end. But I do think getting that news out there early, if it is confirmed as a longer-term injury, is almost better. Uh, but Arteta is so guarded with anything he says and I just don't know with this one I think every one of us probably had the hope he was going to play yesterday and I really thought it was just get him rested for Leeds, make sure he's 100% and he'll be back against Liverpool I didn't expect Rob Holding to play however on the with Rob Holding I do think it's one of those I would rather have a fit Rob Holding than Saliba, who hasn't trained for a few weeks and is maybe playing at 50 or 60%, because in the Premier League, it's intense. And if you weren't 100% yesterday, that wasn't the game to play. That was a very, very physical, very fast afternoon of football. And I think... Saliba's game relies so much on his mobility. He's quick. He's graceful around the pitch. If he's carrying a back injury, 
the last thing you want is for him to potentially cause more damage as a result of him being rushed back into a really intense game. So, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, but yeah, I was just going to ask you what what your thoughts what were your thoughts on the lineup and did you have a panic when you saw Holding was playing or was there mm. a sense of calm? Yeah, not really to be honest. Um I think uh now um in this point of the season, I know who the real MVPs are. Uh, one of them is William Saliba, but for me, it's always been the central, the center of midfield. So as long as Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka are playing together, I know the harmony and the structure will be in place. So even if Rob Holding defensively isn't amazing, at least he's got the structure around him to make sure that there, there won't be any leaky gaps. Um, so I was, I was quietly, you know, ready and confident. Um, also, a little bit aware of of of, of the the lineup that Liverpool were playing especially the front three of Yota, Gakpo and Salah. Um, but it was nice to see the the old trio, the fantastic three up front, Martinelli, Jesus and Saka um, continuing on. And yeah, I mean, pretty straightforward. I, right now, in this point of the season, I'd be really surprised if Arteta were to make, you know, some um, outlandish decisions. Like, I would love to see Kieran Zinni play at left back, but it's probably the best decision to not play him or not start him sorry um ahead of Zinchenko only because it just disrupts what we have been doing throughout the course of the season um yeah so you know in t- as, as, as far as starting lineups go happy content um but again my main focus was how are we going to start at Anfield because <clears throat> we know you know we know the atmosphere and we know what it's like um, no one, I mean, this season they've been pretty poor, um, away, but even at home as well, they haven't been amazing, but even still this game had a, a different sort of energy about it. It wasn't just Arsenal top of the league playing Liverpool who were you know, seven, four, eighth. It was Arsenal versus Liverpool. It, it's one of those games where you mark on the calendar. Um, and so it, it almost doesn't matter who is where in the league table because it promises a different kind of intensity and I guess energy. Um, so yeah, that was kind of in the back of my mind. What were your feelings going into the game? I, I agree completely with the the midfield. Um, I, I think when we've got Partey, Odegaard and Shaka playing together, there is an assuredness around the team. I, it leaves the back four much more protected. Same with Sinchenko, I think his importance to our build-up player is so, so high that bringing Kieran Tierney in now, it just been... I think Sinchenko is one of those players that when he's good, he's superb. But when he has a bad game, you always have that doubt about him. So it's... I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I, I think Arteta went with the lineup that I wanted, and I'd been very vocal on Twitter all week about Jesus having to start. I just think, regardless of how good Trossard's been, Jesus is a better player than him. He's on another level. And um, that front three, I think Jesus and Martinelli work so well together. Uh, And Jesus just, he caused Van Dyke loads of problems at the Emirates earlier in the season. 
he's just, as Ortega says, he creates chaos. And I think that's one of the big things why I would wanted to see him play. And he obviously showed that when the game started. But yeah, overall, it was exactly the lineup I would have went with. So I had nothing to nitpick out there. Cool. All right. Great. So, uh, start lineups out of the way. Let's talk about the beginning of the game because it was a really fast start. And actually, I wasn't expecting it to be as quick as it was. I know Arsenal, you know, traditionally this season we have started quite quickly in the majority of the games that we've played. But um, in a game against, you know, a good opposition, strong opposition, um, well, you know, in the context of it being Arsenal versus Liverpool, I thought it might have been a little bit more cagey, a little bit more kind of standoffish, um, similar to, you know, Arsenal versus City. But positive and really you know I guess glad to see that it was a quick start uh, we had an early chance a free kick taken by Zinni um, passing to Martinelli gets the ball past Trent with ease puts in a close range shot it's saved and it comes off and Shaka has another shot which you know goes uh, deflects out for a corner so that was the first sign for me that okay this game has already started off on a really, really positive note and we're looking really positive and confident. Um, and it was good to see that we were applying a good measured pressure. You know, there's 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 applying, there's like a frantic pressure that, that teams can apply where everyone kind of runs for the ball and everyone tries to close down the man. But Arsenal yesterday in the opening 10 minutes, it was really kind of a, almost an autopilot type of pressure where everyone was in their stations, um, knowing where to go, when to come off and Liverpool's back line, they just looked in disarray. Um, when they were having possession, they were forcing the ball long up the pitch because they couldn't play it out from the back. It was really, really difficult. And, and later on in the game, I think that is what played into their favour, that long diagonal crossfield pass um which they you know they've got a number of different players who are technically really good at, at making those passes um but we got an early goal and i guess my pre-analysis of the game um predictions were that if arsenal got an early goal we would quiet that place and we would bring the harsh reality crashing down on liverpool um because I think it was against City, wasn't it, where they had an incredible kind of opening, I don't know, was it 20, 30 minutes? Might have even been the first half. Can't quite remember. I know that they they, they did really, really well to get the opener. And then as soon as City came back, it was almost a reality check. They almost had to look at themselves and they knew that they were second favourite. And I thought it would be the same with the Martinelli goal. I thought we would... Um, you know, it would be a harsh reality check for them and then they would kind of sit off and uh, try to soak up the pressure and try to hit us on a counter-attack. Uh, but let's talk about the first goal because it was really well worked, wasn't it? It was very well worked. Um, the way Saka carried the ball down the right, very kind of... It, it was just what we expect from him every week. It's, you, you know, a lovely pass inside from Ben White. Saka's carrying it. You just know every time that he's going to make that pass. There's very few wingers in the world, especially at his age, that can pop that ball off so easily and make it look so easy because it's not an easy pass to make. Uh, you're traveling at speed and he just pops it off time and time again for Odegaard. And we, we did get a bit lucky with um, 
the deflection of Van Dyke, but Martinelli really has to move his feet to readjust his body and get into the box. And once he's in there, that's such a lovely touch to take it past Allison because there's a couple of big bodies in around him and he does that with grace. He does that with control. And it was just, it was one of those as well. When he went through, I just knew he was going to score. It's, I've got a real confidence around Martinelli when he goes through on goal. And it, it just felt the minute it broke to him that he was going to put it in the back of the net. How did you feel about it? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, what was really impressive for me was the bit of movement from from Bakaya Saka because um, it, it, it takes a real special player to understand where he needs to be and especially to beat um, a very good you know, fullback. Robertson hasn't been great this season, but he's really good at reading players. He's really good at closing down space. And it was really tight with Saka to make sure that he had no space to kind of pick the ball and run into... Um, the spaces that he likes to run into. However, in this particular situation, I think most of us are expecting Saka to stay tight to the touchline and then turn, hug the touchline and get past um, Robertson kind of via that route. I didn't foresee him cutting in on the inside and then making that kind of inverted run that he does um, so well. I'm trying to watch the goal back. I don't think they've they've they've, they've um, pulled pulled the clip that far back. But it, yeah, it's it's really really smart from him to recognise that he's got more space on the inside rather than I don't know would you call that the inside or the outside? You call it the inside, didn't you? Yeah, it's really yeah. smart of him to realise that he needs to run into the inside and then turns. Um, tries to make that pass into I think Odegaard, um, Van Dyke, just in the in the wrong place at the wrong time, falls to Martinelli, and Martinelli still at this point has a lot to do because he's got Trent and he Van Dyke like he's sandwiched in between them, so he needs to a bit a little bit of luck. There is a tiny bit of luck, but I think it's more to do with the way that he's dribbling and you know his posture, but also his feet. Um, really, really good, and then he, he gets a tiny bit of luck pokes the ball and it, it flies into the back of the net. So it's an excellent start from Arsenal. And f- even before the goal, we were, you know, oozing with confidence. And actually after that goal, the confidence just grew um, and it got greater, you know, knocking the ball around the pitch with ease. Um, and, you know, just everyone kind of getting getting a feel of the ball, but enjoying themselves. And there is no better position to be as an Arsenal player than when you're confident and you're playing around a bunch of confident players because the DNA in Arsenal has shown time and time again that when we're playing confident and when we're playing um, when everyone's playing confident around then the level of football the quality of football increases tenfold and no one is able to get anywhere near us Um, so yeah just really happy with that (laughs) <laughs> as you say everyone was touching the ball everyone looked confident we were making the pitch look very big we were really stretching Liverpool in every area and that momentum kept going after the first goal there was a clear intent to go out and get a second and not long after the first goal as well Saka put that great cross in for Jesus where don't quite know what happened he it kind of flew up in the air and then ended up going back out. Did it go out for a throw afterwards or did it go straight back out to Saka? But he, he was stretching to get it and it was one of those 
could he have gone with his head? Could he have dived in? And um, instead of trying to stretch, because it is a tight angle to try and play it around the post, but it, it showed the intent of the team to go straight out and keep pushing for that second and try to really kill Liverpool off early. Yeah, and maybe we should have got, uh, you know, another goal. Like, he's, like you mentioned, that Jesus miss. A bit for, unfortunate, because obviously it's in the back post. It's a great cross. Really, really lovely pinpoint accurate cross. But Jesus, just he's, he's making that run and he's trying desperately hard to get there. Just can't make the clean contact on it. Um, as Zinchenko had an opportunity as well. He has a strike from outside the box, which is set, which was saved by Alisson. But what was really nice for me was the build-up. And again, just drawing on that confidence where... He's on the halfway line. I think it's, it's between Zinchenko and it might have been Shaka. Um, but the intelligence to draw Salah in and then break away from him to create the space to then progress into Liverpool's half. Um, really, really good to see. Trent and Robertson just looked shell-shocked. I mean, they could not contain Saka and Martinelli. To, they, they couldn't work, work out how to do anything with those two. Um, on, on, one, on one hand of the pitch, on the right-hand side with Saka it's impossible to leave him alone with Robertson. You need to always have two or three men on him. Martinelli, on the other hand, on the other side, again, direct at running, um, di direct when he's running at Trent, and just, you, you never know when he's going to cut in, cut out, um, cut on the inside or the outside, or, you know, pull it, pull, pull Shaka into the um, into the play as well. So, yeah, their back line looked in disarray. But they did have a few opportunities before we got the second goal. I guess, I guess did, it was it was yeah. kind of like warning signs, wasn't it? That they had goals in them and we couldn't afford to lose that momentum or that bit of concentration. Yeah, well, they had the, the big chance with the Robertson miss. And yeah. it was one of those, it felt similar to last season at the Emirates when Robertson went through and he scored and he struck that ball last season. It was such a clean strike. This one, he got in, it was probably a better position where he was yesterday. Mm. And he didn't quite catch that ball right. And you can see it just bending away from the goal. And that was <laughs> a heart in your mouth moment. I really thought he was going to score there. And that was, that was a massive warning sign for us. And I think it, it woke us up as well. We really started to kind of push for that second after that bit and but it, it was a big warning sign and that continued throughout the game I, I don't think Ben White was overly protected right back yesterday and there were there were also times where I don't think he was fully switched on and they did get in down that down our right side and Robertson caused a lot of problems there but similarly as you say Robertson was having to really pay a lot of attention to Saka yesterday, who also created that big chance for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And and just before, you know, we scored the second goal, um, I noticed that it was beginning to get a little bit scrappy. Um, and again, I, I hate to bring the officiating and the referee into this, but I noticed very, very early on, even before we scored the second goal, that there was some dodgy officiating going on. First, um, I think it was Ben White who was given a yellow card for making a perfectly fine tackle, in my opinion. The follow through wasn't great. The follow through was a, you know, he, he catches his man. Um, he gets a yellow card for it. There was a similar tackle made later on in the game. I think it was on Bakayo Saka. I think Fabinho makes it on Saka. This time round, identical tackle. 
you know, I urge you to look, go back and watch the game and, and compare those two. But Fabinho wasn't given any a card, let alone um, he he wasn't given a yellow card, <coughs> um, and it wasn't even given a foul. So there was also a handball from Liverpool in the middle of the pitch that was overlooked. Uh, but those, I guess, are just after the half or just before the half hour mark. Um, I noticed that it was beginning to get a little bit scrappy and Liverpool were beginning to see a lot more of the ball and that scrappy nature of the game was working to their advantage. However, we were quite fortunate that we got that second goal um, because it, it calmed things down a little bit, you know, just before yeah. the, the, the Granite Xhaka incident. Um, but yeah, what did you make of the Martinelli goal? Sorry, not the Martinelli goal, the Jesus goal. Jesus goal. Uh, superb from Martinelli. Uh, the, was, I wrote an article about Martinelli and Trent uh, before the game and the battle that we were going to see. And one of the things I highlighted was Trent actually wins quite a high number of ground duels in every game. He, he's got actually, he actually got better numbers than both Sinchenko and Ben White in terms of ground duels won. However, his big issue is he switches off and quite often you'll see him three or four yards behind his defenders. And uh, as we seen in City last week when um, for Alvarez goal, yesterday it was the opposite. He steps forward. He's not aware where Martinelli is. He's not aware where his, his defensive partners are. And Martinelli sees that straight away. He's straight in behind. And then, but very, very cool the minute he gets the ball, pulls it back. That cross, there's so much pace on that, and that is inch perfect for Jesus. And it was just absolutely superb, fantastic goal. And it was just one of those. I thought the minute that went in, I thought Liverpool are here for the taking. We could score another three or another two before half time if we just keep this intensity. They are really there to be taken, and it was, it was one of those. It was what we've seen from Martinelli this season. It was the maturity, the composure. And in previous seasons, I think Martinelli's maybe been guilty of, he tries to do things so quickly, he's just so direct, that he hasn't always taken that time to look up and pick out the right man. Whereas now we're seeing a much more refined player and that goal summed up kind of what Arteta's been working on with him and it showed why he starts every week for us now whereas last year he was in and out of the team he was coming off the bench starting the next week whereas that goal for me it summed up how good of a player he's become this season so what were your thoughts on him? I, I was quite amazed at how easily he was allowed to let to kind of run in behind um, it almost felt like Liverpool's uh, every man in that in in their half just stood stood still for a second. I don't think they were expecting Zinchenko. Was it Zinchenko that played that ball over the top? It was Shaka. So yes, yeah, so yeah, Granit Shaka plays that absolutely sublime ball. And we know he's capable of doing it. It's so inch perfect, and it catches everyone off guard. No one's expecting him to make that ball. And uh, you know, Martinelli has positioned himself so well to run off anyone who's nearby. And actually, the the fullbacks are going to be really, really annoyed um, for letting him run into you know into space because when he's got the space, again in this position, just before he releases the ball, as a fullback, as someone who's marking him, 
you are frightened because you don't know whether he's going to cut in, cut out. You don't, and you know he tends to usually in this kind of position go into the box by progressing deeper in to the half, um, getting really tight to the line, and then somehow dribbling his way um, into the box and then playing a short, I guess, pass um, across the face of goal. This time he decides to just stop the ball, pop it into the box again just perfect um lands straight at jesus he doesn't really need to do much other than guide the ball into the back of the net and that's what he does doesn't even need to get an incredible contact on it but just guides it in bounces off the floor into the back of the net arsenal two nil up and as you rightly said you know at that point it looked like we could get a lot more um but then the it, it, the pendulum shifts um Something happens and I can't, I mean, you know, I've made my case for what I think was the turning point. But what do you think happened where Arsenal, where the game kind of got away from us a little bit in that final 10, maybe 15 minutes, if you want to add the the additional time that was added at the end of the first half? What do you think went wrong? Because it, it did kind of go wrong, didn't it? Yeah, I think you've you've already touched on it, where the game was getting scrappier after our first goal. Probably towards the end of the twenties, the game was getting scrappier. Things were being allowed to flow. There was just a complete lack of consistency with the referee, and and it. I think by the game becoming more physical, it energized the Anfield crowd, and. Um, I know, I'm sure you've seen today on Twitter, there's a lot of debate about Shaka. Um, mm. The pundits have really gone in on him and um, mm. sort of that incident, the, the scuffle with Trent as a big momentum shift in the game. I think it was starting to change at that point anyway, but in my opinion, that did lift the Anfield crowd. I, I don't think that's what... Cause I think they were already starting to play better football at that point, and we were struggling to keep hold of the ball after being so dominant for a long time. So I, I do think it was a slight shift in momentum, not as big as it's been made out to be. And um, but yeah, it was a, it was a very strange moment in the game because right before it, Shaka's fouled. He, he literally pushed to the ground by Konate, and when he clatters into Trent. That's that was stupid, but it was reactionary to not getting a free kick. And we see it every game from players. I think yes, you kind of plan into the Anfield crowd, but the reality is you're playing into every crowd when you do that. And if someone did that at the Emirates, it would lift the crowd as well. I think that's just football. So to say that that incident completely changed the game in the way some are is probably overstating the incident. However, the, the crowd were already starting to get more and more into it at that point. Liverpool were playing better football, but small moments do have an impact. We know that. And But yeah, where do you stand on that? Because it's a, it's a huge debate today. And mm. it's one of those people seem to have very, very strong opinions either way on it. Mm. I think it's incredibly disingenuous in my opinion from not just i mean it's unfair for me to point my or direct my criticism 
to the fans online who are, um, I guess, the victims or a product of what's initially being analysed by the media. So the Sky Sports pundits, um, the commentary team, made a really big deal out of Granite Shaka getting that yellow card. And... It, and it, again, I said I mentioned it. It just amazes me that nobody picked out the fact that he was fouled initially by uh, Kanate. Now I get it. It gives nobody any. Um, it's still not a good enough reason to react negatively. But is Granit Xhaka's reaction really that bad compared to Trent's? Because if we look back at the footage, he he doesn't even fumble into Trent. He just makes. A little bit of contact to make himself known. I think it's Trent who overreacts and barges into him from behind instead of continuing to play the game. And you know, absolutely, you're you're bang on when you make the point that it happens every single game. And players, and you only need to look at incidents surrounding corners where players are, you know, grabbing each other, throwing each other around. It's part of the game, right? So. It, yeah, it's just unfortunate that obviously he's got that reputation and it's going to follow him wherever he goes. Even after his playing days are over, when he gets into coaching and eventually when he lands a really big job, there will be moments where he's on the sideline, he's losing his head and he'll be picked up for it because he's Granite Xhaka. Um, so, and even, you know, like I said, before this incident, this isn't one isolated incident that we need to look at and point out as the turning point, the moment where things turned. It, it, gr- gradually building up to that moment, to that point, we could see that the game was beca- becoming a little bit aggressive and a little bit physical. And actually, I think Liverpool yesterday have figured out the way to stop Arsenal. And it isn't to try and outplay them. It isn't to, you know, soak up the pressure and hit us on the counter-attack or deploy any tactical method of trying to get the upper hand. It's get aggressive, get in their faces and hope that the officials are on our side as well. Because that—that's what I think was—that's ha- what I think was happening when Arsenal was so dominant on the ball, and when you can see the confidence oozing out of them, you know there's going to be two or three goals. But what you know, I was—I was saying this to my wife this morning. Um, we can beat any team on the pitch, but when we're playing against eleven men and the officials, you know, you're asking for a lot. And when we're making any little um, soft challenge that ends up being, you know, the penalty decision is a really, really big one that we're going to come to. Um, but when moments like that happen, it's out of our hands. You know, we can't we can't play the game <clears throat> in an unrealistic or in an unconventional manner. Football is always going to be played high paced with intensity. And when it's a game like that, things are going to happen where, for example, the penalty incident where Rob Holding has to go for the ball. I mean, I was amazed when I was talking to a mate of mine, he's a United fan, and he was saying it's a clear-cut penalty. Clear-cut penalty. But in that situation, what can Rob Holding do other than go for the ball? Because we know that Jota has left his left leg out in order for him to make that contact with um, Holding. It was almost as absurd as the, the the penalty that went against us against Wolves a few seasons back where David Luiz was given a red card for literally 
clipping, or he didn't even clip, he didn't even make any contact. It was actually um, the player ahead of him, I forgot who it was, whose studs clipped the kneecap of David Luiz. It was almost as outrageous as that. Holding yeah. can't do anything but run for the ball. He's making the desire, the commitment to get the ball. It's unfortunate that Yota purposefully, and I do believe that was purposeful because if, if you track his run, it's very, you know, it's, it's strange the way that he's kind of running towards the ball. Anyways, um, so yeah, in terms of the Granite Shaka incident, it's unfortunate that it happens, but um, in the context of what happened after the game, it certainly lifted the stadium. And yeah, so the same type of tackle that was made by Ben White was... It was it was it was the Canate um, actually incident which was which was identical to what happened with Ben White. So Ben White puts the tackle in, gets a yellow card, um, and then Canate makes a, the foul on Shaka. Identical, not given. So yeah, yeah, and, and then he also had right before the the Shaka Trent incident, he, he pushed Shaka to the ground, and it wasn't given as a foul either. So I, I think that's again. Fouls starting to accumulate from the same player on Chaka, and it, you can see why he's getting wound up. And it's if players aren't protected by the referees, there is going to be that caginess to the game that we we saw developing. So I think I think you're spot on with that. And but yeah, it it became a very frustrating game as well. Just and it, it for me it always boils down to consistency with referees, and I think the amount he was letting go really stopped us playing and fed into the way Liverpool wanted to play the game. And it, it did become very aggressive. So, so yeah, those, those two fouls. And then the, the other one that I, I guess isn't really being spoken about with the momentum is Robertson being elbowed by the by the linesman. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, we, we, uh, skipped, we skipped past the Salah goal and went straight into the Shaka Konate incident, which was actually in the second half. But right at the end of the first half, things got really, really heated, didn't it? And it boiled over after the, the the whistle went with the Robertson incident on the referee. What did you make of that? Yeah, really bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. And it was one of those... I was watching it on TV and he went over and I thought it, my reaction was, he just elbowed him. And he looked like it looked very deliberate. And I've seen today, just before we started this pod, David Ornstein tweeted to say that the PGMOL have actually suspended him until there's a full investigation into what happened. So he won't have any more games until that point. However, I do think, like, can you imagine if you're Liverpool going into that dressing room and you think you've got the officials against you on, and you've just scored as well? Mm. So your player's just been out. That's going to fire them up massively at a time when Arteta's probably trying to calm the Arsenal players because we were starting to lose our heads a bit at that time. And I, I don't know about you, but I really felt like we needed the halftime whistle whenever it came. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like I said, you know, the physicality of the game and the way that it was heading, Robertson making free really, I mean, the last foul that he made on Saka, not getting a booking for it. Um, and then obviously they got the goal. Um, sorry, did I say that the Trent incident with Shaka happened after the uh, second half? It wasn't. It was. It was in no, the first half. It was half. the Kanate incident. You said. Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was a Kanate incident. Right. So the Trent incident happens before they get the goal, and actually that free kick leads to their goal. So the goal that was given 
shouldn't have really stood because if the the officials were doing their jobs correctly, then Shaka would have got the foul on the other side of the pitch. Anyway, doesn't matter. What's happened is happened. Um, let's quickly talk about the goal that they score and then we'll move on to the second half where, you know, everything is kind of unleashed. Um, but yeah, Salah scores before the halftime. Um, wh- what is it down to? Is it down to the fact that momentum has swung in their favour, the crowd had uplifted them, or was it a case that Arsenal had just gone to sleep for a good, you know, 30 seconds or so? Yeah, probably a mix of everything. I think the, as you said, that it came from the free kick that we should have had a free kick right before that. And I think had we have been given that free kick, the team kind of take a moment to regroup and, we try and get some control back and a steadiness before half time. Instead, there's the anger and frustration of not getting that. And I think we went to sleep down the right, down our right hand side a bit. Um, there was a lot of space for Liverpool that cross that went across to Henderson. That's a. There was also a lot of luck involved because mm. on another day, when Henderson gets his stunts to that ball, it goes to an Arsenal defender and it's cleared and. It just so happens it slides right into Salah's path. Um, is it Gabriel that's trying to recover? And, yeah, so uh, Gabriel is watching uh, Salah, and he is. Key- I mean, I look back to watch the goal, and yes, you know, yesterday when they were analysing, and he is actually keeping an eye on Salah to make sure that he's where he is and he needs to be where he is. But it, as you mentioned, it is that um, unpredictability of where the ball lands that I guess you know. It doesn't matter who would have been there. I think you know. It would have been difficult to deal with that ball. Yeah, and Salah's so alive in the box. He, mm. He's a threat from absolutely anywhere. It's There's a reason he scored so many goals on such a consistent level over the last, what, is this the sixth season in the Premier League? I think so, yeah. So, But yeah, and it's year after year. He'll probably finish with close to 20 again this season. I think he's on 13 now. And uh, he can score from anywhere. And He's alive in the box. We, we saw threats from cutting inside to shoot. He had a lot of shots in that game. And uh, he, it was a frustrating goal to concede because I think there is just so much pace whenever it comes off Henderson that on another day, it just doesn't fall perfectly at Salah's feet. And there isn't another player Liverpool would have wanted that ball to come to than Mohamed Salah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what was disappointing for me of that goal is how much space um, Jones is uh, is uh, is allowed to progress when he's when he's got the ball down the left hand side, just not picked up. You know, I felt like the boys were just caught sleeping. Um, but he plays a really nice flick back um, to get Yota in behind. And again, no one's really tracking Yota. Balls comes ball comes into the middle of the box, and yeah. The rest we know. So Liverpool are back into the game. The crowd has woken up and definitely against Arsenal at this point because anytime we get the ball, there's boos ringing around the stadium. Anytime one of our players is fouled and the ref doesn't give anything, the crowd gets really frustrated with us as well. Um, so yeah, physicality of the game just was a really, really big issue. And Shaka and Jesus, like I said, at the end of at the end of the first half, they were frust- they were furious. They're taking their anger out on every challenge making. It was really boiling over. Um, but yeah, thankfully the second half whistle, sorry, the first half whistle, um, 
you know, announced, is announced. Then the boys go in. Uh, things calm down a little bit. What are you expecting after they come back into the second? Do you think that the the the, the temperature of the game is going to be reduced down to what it was in the first opening half an hour, and Arsenal just need to kind of find their rhythm a little bit more? I thought that they were going to come out really strong for the first 10, 15 minutes, and it would be about weather in the storm. So I think the timing of the goal was also key. We, we, we've seen it ourselves when we've got a goal right before half time. If we've been, it does give you that lift, that belief, and it's kind of as close to half time either side. If you get that goal, it lifts the whole crowd. Um, we've seen it at the Emirates when it's lifted the crowd this season. But I think the timing was crucial. Then obviously you've got the Robertson half-time incident. And then they came out and I really thought this is going to be 10, 15 minutes of really, really sustained pressure. If we can weather that, we will get back on the ball and we'll be able to control this game. However, obviously I was very wrong about it. Even I remember looking at the clock uh, and it was about 59 minutes and I thought this there's still a lot of intensity here and mm. it's like if we can get through the next couple of minutes I think we can get back on the ball and really see this out I, I felt like we were we had weathered it quite well and then we just it, Liverpool just didn't let up they kept playing at that intensity uh, how, how did you feel about it I felt that the opening first few minutes were good um, we were moving the ball fast, we were applying early pressure, getting the ball on the edge of the box. And then obviously the fouls continue to be made against us. Um, obviously the Kanate foul on Shaka, which I mentioned earlier. And that again was, I guess, the trigger point whereby Liverpool or, you know, we knew at that point where things were not going to be given again, uh, weren't going to be given for us. Um, they, you know, Credit to Liverpool, though, because there's there's one thing being given the advantage by the officials, but there's another thing using it and then building from that. And they did well to build possession, hold the ball, um, and I guess build a bit of confidence as well. Um, so we we were we were then um, met with the penalty decision, uh, which came from a corner. Comes deep into the box. Arsenal tried to clear but fail. Holding is then, I felt like initially holding was tripped by Yota. Um, I thought the same. Yeah, and then but you know we we saw the different like I guess angles. Uh, I, I've made my thoughts clear on it. What did you think of the penalty decision? I've watched it quite a few times today, and. I... I agree with you that Jota leaves his leg out. I, I think it's. I still think Holding was fouled because I think he, he does put his hands on him, but I think it's after he's already starting to go to ground. And I think it's natural that as you go forward, you do put your hands out. I, I, but I think the biggest thing for me, whether it was a foul or not on Jota, was that wasn't how the game was being refereed. So the number of challenges all over the park that were just being let let go and then to get a penalty for that, it's one of the softest I've seen given. And I think it just wasn't in the spirit of the game. So that was it. I, I just felt really confused by Tierney's referee and performance. And I usually don't like digging out the referees. Uh, I think, it, as you said at the start, 
it's kind of you are in control of your own destiny and you need to go out and play your game. But yesterday I just felt that I couldn't work out from one minute to the next what was a found. And then when he gave that penalty after letting so many things slide, I, I really didn't think it was a pen. Mm. Yeah. So look, it's good to hear that we're both on the same page because at one point last night when I was going through all the um, punditry analysis and what everyone else was saying, all the different like fan influencers, I felt like I was going mad. I thought I was going to be crazy. Like, was I watching a different game? Um, but justice was served on a cold platter for us. Salah misses the penalty. It's a really poorly hit penalty, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, and... It, it was one of those in the build-up. I, every time we can see the penalty, I think this could be the one Ramsdale's going to see of this. <laughs> it, it still hasn't happened yet, but it's one of those that I just did not see Salah putting it that that far wide because it, it's, it, as you say, it's just not a good penalty at all. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about the the, the rest of the. Um... The rest of the second half, I mean, not much happened until the final 10 to 15 minutes. Um, Fabinho was finally given a yellow card for a terrible foul on Saka. Temperature again rising after (laughs) Salah's missed penalty. Uh, You could tell that we were trying really hard to regain the composure that we started off with in the the opening 35 minutes. Um, But Liverpool were just being given chance after chance after chance. I mean, Salah has a shot, which is saved by Ramsdale. A cross comes deep into the box, back post. Salah's uh, curled effort saved um, by Ramsdale. Gabriel takes a shot to the head. He's tended to. And I felt like that, that could have been the moment where... You know the temperature could have reduced, and it would have helped us um, to calm things down because he was down for a good five minutes or so. Um, but it, it wasn't to be the case. I want to talk about the changes um, because after, I guess, you know, after after the missed penalty, um, the game is 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 evened out in the sense that they have a handful of opportunities. We also have an, uh, have a handful of opportunities. Um, but Arteta decides to go down the route of hanging on for the f- final 15 minutes or so by bringing on Trossard and Kivio for Jesus and Odegaard. What did you think of those changes? I was really surprised when I saw Kivio standing there I, I agreed with the trossard for jesus at the time i i thought jesus was just starting to fade a little which is completely understandable given how long he's been out and am i right in thinking that's the longest he's played since he came back yeah i believe so i believe so So yeah so i, I think at that point i was thinking yeah that, Trossard's a good player to come on. He's a very, very cool head on the ball, whereas in the way Jesus is more electric when he gets it, Trossard's more calm and composed and is always looking for that teammate and looking for a pass as opposed to a dribble, whereas Jesus is a bit like a battering ram at times. He just goes at people. So once that energy level dips, it's, it's, it is less effective. However, with uh, Kivior given that he's only played about 15 minutes of Premier League football, I thought that was a huge game to throw him in for. And 
it wasn't a change I would have made. I, I was very, very surprised to see it happen. And, and I think it changed the way we were, well, it did change the way we were set up, but it meant that we, we didn't have the same energy in midfield. And just, he made an error quite quickly after coming on. He kind of went, it was almost like a fly kick where he went in to try and win the ball. And mm. that led to Darwin Nunez going through one-on-one. And yeah. Super safe from Ramsdale. However, I was really surprised. I think it was the wrong change in the end, but that's hindsight on another day. I, If we saw that game out 2-1, I think you come away and you think Arteta made the right change. Mm. Because aside from that one error... When Nunez got in, there, I didn't really notice him on the pitch, and I, I didn't notice him do anything wrong. So, what what were your thoughts on that? Well, I was really surprised that Odegaard was the one that's been taken off. Like, I've got no issues with Kivio coming around. It shows the intent that we want to hold on and we want to soak up the pressure for the last 10, 15 minutes. Fine, that's not an issue. But moments before Odegaard came off, he plays one of the passes of the season low driven into the perfect space for Martinelli to run into, plays it into Saka. Um, you know, we don't make good use of that opportunity, but it just showed me that, look, that we still, there's, there's still a goal, a goal in this game for us. If we would, if we just kept our attacking players and those that are technically gifted on the ball, Liverpool are easy to open up. You know, yeah. they're, 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 they're piling bodies into our half. They're, you know, leaving spaces open for players like Odegaard, who when he picks up the ball, he's able to make passes left, right, centre. It's perfect. It's, it's a perfect scenario. So I don't know who else we should have taken off, but I would have liked to have seen Odegaard continue. Um, I also would have liked potentially to have seen Tierney come on a lot earlier. And maybe we yeah. can have a short discussion about Kieran Tierney and what he needs to do. What more does he actually need to do in order to get more game time it seems to be a really strange situation and again we know how good Zinchenko is we know how much he brings to the table and I don't think there is a a single fullback in the league that can provide what Zinchenko can provide as an attacking outlet he's absolutely fantastic because he does things that fullbacks dream of doing or, or you know a conventional fullback can't do some of the things that he does um, you know, cutting in, playing into midfield, you know, as well as um, his types of dribbles that he does, his unpredictability as well. But in a moment like this, if you decide to bring on Kivior, you're making the decision that we are going to try and see the game out. Wouldn't this be the perfect opportunity to bring on Tierney as well and to shore us up defensively down that left-hand side where Salah was seeing a lot of freedom and space um because it's 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 i guess it's of my opinion my humble opinion that zinchenko can't defend as well as tini can in fact he's been quite leaky defensively throughout the course of the season um there have been odd moments here and there we probably haven't spoken about them because of how brilliant he's been for the other you know half of the season or for the other part of his game but um ultimately that decision to not kind of bring him off, bring him off led to their second goal. Uh, but what do you think about Kieran lack of game time and also the responses that he's giving when he does come on? 
Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with the responses. I, I think he's been brilliant when he's come on. He has looked really professional. He's looked really lean, fit, and hungry. And just he's looked like the pro that we know he is, which is great to see. It shows that even when players aren't playing every week, they're still fully committed. We've seen the same with Rob Holding. He, he's barely played all season and he looks in great shape. Uh, and I thought Tierney again was good yesterday uh, when he came on. However, I do find it strange the decision not to use him more, especially the decision to bring Kiwi or in. As you say, Salah was getting a lot of space down that side, bringing Tierney on to shore up that. And uh, Trent was also really good in the second half. He he was really coming into the game. Mm. Uh, he was spraying passes. He was getting more and more inverted. Uh, yeah. Tierney would have been an option that I probably would have brought on after about 70, 75 minutes yesterday. And I, I don't really understand the reluctance to play him. I think Zinchenko has been superb. However, we could use Tierney a lot more in games, especially to see them out. If we're 3-0 up, get Zinchenko off after 70 minutes and bring Tierney on. Because, again... He's not going to be able to play the role in the way Zinchenko does, nor is Zinchenko able to play left back the way Tierney does. But I think Tierney's never going to develop that side of his game unless he's given minutes and asked to do it in the league. So would that be something you would agree with? Yeah, bang on. I mean, to to suggest that Tierney needs to have the same types of qualities as Zinchenko is, I think, Again, just being disingenuous and also um, not 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 factoring in the fact that we've got two different types of fullbacks, um, and there's been a problem at Arsenal for many years where we haven't had backups and we haven't had the right type of backups. And now that we've got the right type of backups, the game time isn't being spread as evenly as we would have liked, or he would have liked anyway. Um, you know, to bring him on like three four minutes before the final whistle every game or every other game bit of an insult to him and yeah for, for such an experienced player who's mm. been so consistent at Arsenal whenever he has been fit I, I think fitness has always been an issue with him however I, he was one of the ones that we thought could be our captain yeah mm. yeah absolutely and you know you just you need to you only need to look back to last season to see some of the performances that he was putting in you know the the, the most memorable one is 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 the goal in the snow against West Brom yeah. um so he's not just a fullback that can defend but he can also attack and his explosivity is something that Zinchenko doesn't have and I guess that's what I love about both of them because they complement each other so well in the different types of skills and abilities that they've got one is really good technically the other is really good at just causing danger and he came on I think in the last few minutes had a shot straight after he came on which went wide but he puts himself in those days in this in those dangerous um situations and scenarios but anyway um let's talk about the goal that that uh, liverpool scored to equalize with i guess three minutes to go before the 90th minute before that though arsenal did have a chance where um from a corner gabriel gabriel's header goes straight to the keeper but 
that's that's not the reason why I've, I've I've jotted this down. The reason why I jotted this down is is because Saka is given a yellow card for walking over to the corner flag, which for me is just unbelievable. Like I yeah. cannot understand it. Like he's given a yellow card for walking. It's not as if he's he's taking it. You know, he's wasting. He's not necessarily wasting time. He's walking to the corner flag, and it happens every game. Players always walk to the corner flag just because he's not rushing over to take the corner. I don't think that warrants a yellow card. So. Yeah, I just want to jot that down again, just to make a note of how shitty the officiating was. Yeah. Um, it, it was. It was just one of the many bizarre decisions, and yeah. as you said, Gabrielle's header as well. That was a huge moment of the game, and there isn't another player I would want that ball to fall to in the box than Gabrielle. And I, I couldn't believe it when he put it straight at Allison, but it was. I don't know if he saw it slightly late or whatever, but but yeah, he's just he is such a threat in the box, and it also showed just what a threat he is that it did fall to him. Mm. And th- there's a reason he scores goals; it's because in the way you've just said about Kieran Tierney putting himself in those positions, Gabriel is always attacking the ball in the box. He's also very good at finding space, and uh, so yeah, it was just one of those moments when that was saved. I, I just had a feeling that. The, the equaliser was coming. Yeah, and it eventually does. Um, Firmino heads in at the back of the net, in the back of the net, sorry, from the uh, the far post. Trent gets the better of Zinchenko, and Zinchenko, as you can see when he's taken off, is distraught <laughs> at being um, nutmegged by Trent. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I think, I think Trent does get past him quite easily, um, but maybe I'm being unfair. At that moment in the game where so much has happened and, you know, you're, I guess you're playing with um, what's the word? You're, you're, you're playing on not 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 energy, but your body's been taken through... Uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline, that's it, yeah. You're, you're yeah. playing with adrenaline, right? Um, yeah, so again, Firmino heads in, back post, Zinchenko Trent getting the better of Zinchenko. Is there any more to add to that to the analysis? Not really. I think it's one of those. Yeah, Zinchenko probably could have done better, but there there is also if if we're looking at that the other way and Saka pops it through Robertson's legs, gets in and lifts that ball over, and Hazes or Martinelli headed in. We're saying that that is world class from Saka. I do think credit has to be given to Trent in that situation. Mm. He's ice cool when he sticks it through Zinchenko's legs. And then once he gets there, that ball's perfect. Yeah. He's one of the best crossers of football that I've ever seen. And he stands that ball up perfectly to Firmino, who has a an incredible record against Arsenal. So he he he's I can't remember how many goals he scored, but it is way more than he scored against any other club and he was one when he came on i thought he's going to be the one that scores this i I just had a feeling and yeah i think liverpool deserve credit as well because we were as you say we were playing with adrenaline at that point and really given everything uh they had the full crowd behind them they they had both center halves playing inside our half they were just pushing and that did lead to opportunities for us to hit them on the counter. However, the way they were playing, I think sometimes you have to look at it and think that was a very good goal from them. It was well worked. And I think Zinchenko will rightly be gutted, but 
it's it's one of those that sometimes you have to give credit to the opposition. Yeah, and it's a great header from Firmino as well. We can't take anything away from that either. I mean, it's a difficult one because he has to call, he, he has to position himself quite well as well as make the right kind of leap um, as well as direct the header. So, yeah, a really smart kind of header. And then, I guess, everything is kind of... It just... it just The, the whole game is blown Crazy. out <laughs> of craziness. Salah has a shot from two yards that goes over. He pokes it with his shin. Um, again, he, he then has another shot, a curling effort, and the save that Ramsdale makes with his fingertips. He's done it a number of different times in his Arsenal career, but that has to be one of the top, top saves that he's made in an Arsenal yeah. show. And it also takes a deflection off Gabriel in the it way, does, yeah. which makes it even more difficult. And uh, yeah, I, I, Ramsdale, I've got, had jotted down some stuff about him. To, I, I thought he was probably our best player other than maybe Martinelli, but he made that excellent save one-on-one against Nunes. And uh, then he had that one against Salah. He also had the one, is it Kanadi that's coming in? It is, yes, Kanadi, yeah. And, yeah, and again, that was that was just bravery and throwing yourself at it. And yeah, there are three big, big saves at very big moments of the game. And the one against Nunes in particular, if you look at his positioning, Ramsdale's one-on-one shot stop and wasn't great for a while. However, now when he's coming out to meet a striker, he looks really, really composed. He's, he's very assured in his position and, and he looks strong. He's making them make the choice. And when Nunes went through, as he was running, I thought he's going to score. But the minute yeah. it, you could see Ramsdale in shot, I thought that he's going to save this. And if anything, Nunes kind of panicked when he got through because Ramsdale was saying, right, if you're going to meet, beat me, you have to beat me. I'm not going to make the choice for you. Hmm. And that's something that keepers get with experience. So, again, I think we forget how young Ramsdale is for a keeper. And these little details in his game are becoming more refined. And I just thought overall he was fantastic yesterday. And he'll be gutted to come away having conceded two goals because he couldn't have done anything about either of them. Yeah, I think he was quite chuffed, though, at the end of the game where he was uh, talking to... Um, Sky Sports, and yeah, he looks like he was. He's been. He's been taken through <laughs> a bit of a like a, a war, you know. Um, quite pleased to to to, to take the point, um, you know, back home. Right, right before the final whistle, though, Arsenal did have the last gasp opportunity yeah. to win the game <laughs> on the break with Saka, Martinelli, and Trossard, and I just don't know what what happened. <laughs> I think it was Martinelli, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Who, it was Martinelli, but the, the, when the ball drops to Trossard, it's such a nice pass back. First time to Martinelli, and then he continues his run, and he drags the defender to create that space for Martinelli to play Saka in. And it's one of those, does he take an extra touch that he shouldn't? Should he have take, like continued to carry it further and set himself? But it was one of those that... I think, as you said, we were playing on adrenaline at that part of the game and it could have just been that he he had nothing left in the tank and it's just his concentration went slightly and that pass needed to be inch perfect because Allison's alive to everything. He is a proper sweeper keeper and he was out like a flash on that. So 
it, it was always going to be Allison's tough to pick one on one anyway, but it was a real moment of hope right at the end. And yeah, I, I was gutted whenever he didn't make the pass, but at the same time, I thought Martinelli was superb yesterday, so I'm not going to pick him out for mm. making not making that pass. And I, again, I think they are the small bits of his game that he's going to continue to refine. And probably if it was Saka playing Martinelli and Saka would have made the pass and Martinelli probably would have been better one-on-one as well. So, mm. but yeah, just one of those what could have been kind of moments. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the referee eventually blows the full-time whistle. It ends 2-2. Um, and, you know, we've given our thoughts on how we felt after the game. Uh, but there were obviously huge... I guess, d- debates and discussions about what this means in the context of the title race. Um, and with, I guess, eight more games to go, is this a positive result? What do you kind of, what's your analysis in that in that context of the um, title race? Yeah, I think, <laughs> now that I've had time to think about it, I think it is a point gained after being under the cosh for so long yesterday. I think the fact that we're coming away from Anfield disappointed with a draw tells you everything you need to know about this team and where we're at. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those we didn't lose, and that's sometimes whenever you're you're battered like that for so long, you have to come away with something, and we've still come away with a point. I think there's been some overreaction as if we've lost the game and we've really collapsed, which we didn't. I think Liverpool stepped it up a year. And so, yeah, I, I think a lot will depend on the game at the Etihad. But I think on Friday or at the weekend against West Ham, we, we need to come out and blow them away because they're, they're not a good side. And mm. so, yeah, I, I think it's about winning the next game and I know that's a cliche but we need to just keep winning our games until we go to City and if that's the case then yes it's a point gained so what are your thoughts with that? Well um, I like to have a look at the league table and I like to have a look at the, 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 the games that are remaining I do this every single week. I've been doing it actually since January, believe it or not. Because <laughs> uh, at that point in January, I was like debating with myself or whether I whether I call Arsenal, whether I induct Arsenal into the title race conversation or not. I think most of us in the back of our heads, we knew that this would go all the way down to the wire. Um, and now we're here, finally. Um, it's a two-horse race. We're, you know... the. Currently, there's there's six points that separate City and Arsenal. City have a game in hand, but if Arsenal go to the Etihad and beat them, that six-point cushion is then reaffirmed. Um, but that's the big question. Do Arsenal go to the Etihad and beat them? Or do we come out with a point? Which, again, isn't a bad result as well. Um, you know, worst-case scenario is that we lose. Because if we lose and City win their game in hand, then the, you know we're equal on points with goal difference separating us and with the way that City have been playing recently, um, they look like a goal machine, scoring four against Liverpool, four against Southampton and, um, well, they beat Crystal Palace 1-0 away, but they're scoring goals for fun, it seems, and I don't know whether this narrative of, you know, City seeing the rest of the season out by winning every game is as accurate as 
people are making it out to be, but it seems like they're fully awake now. I guess we'll just, it'll be interesting to see what happens um, with the Champions League games coming into effect on well, tomorrow. So they play Bayern at home, then they've got Leicester on the weekend, they've got Bayern away, then they've got Sheffield United on the weekend, um, with the Brighton game being postponed until kind of further notice. So I think that Arsenal will have this advantage until the very late stages of the season. Um, And that's when the pressure will start to, I guess, mount and will play an impact. But having watched City for the last few seasons, I don't know if pressure affects them in the league as as much as it does in the Champions League. Um, It's just a case of, I guess seeing whether this crop of players can do it because it's it's a different kind of makeup isn't it especially their back line um with yeah. Ake with Ake and and um um who's the other one that plays next to him Akanji Akanji with Ake and Akanji this is this will be quite new to them so it'll be interesting to see whether they will be able to um you know live up to the pressure but as far as the Arsenal conversation goes we've got a matter of West Ham and Southampton to first get past before we can look at that um, Man City game. Do you think that the boys will be razor focused on the West Ham and Southampton game or do you think some of them will be looking ahead to the Man City game? No, I think they'll be razor sharp. I think Arteta will be drilling it into them that if we don't come away with two wins, it doesn't matter what happens at the Etihad. So it's, we've seen before whenever we've drop points we bounce back quite quickly and i think again we haven't lost yesterday there was some big moments for both sides all over the park and i think that we will be coming back into that game with the intensity to win it and prove everyone that we can go on and do this so i think west ham is kind of the kind of game you want after this it's a big pitch away from home and um, the crowd are quite a way away from the pitch as well the, the olympic stadium it's it's not a nice stadium to be yeah. in mm. and as far as away days go it's it, when you went to upton park you were right on the fans were on top of you mm. and you were so close to the pitch it's literally it couldn't be more opposite at the olympic stadium and I think that plays into Arsenal's hands. It's a big pitch. We can move the ball quickly. And with Suchek and midfield just being so far out of form, I think we can really pull them apart. And they they do have some good players that can cause problems, but they've just really, really struggled this season. And they've just got no cohesion as a team. And any time I've watched them, they've looked like a side who can cause problems through individuals, but as a team, they can be pulled out of position very easily. And I think we should be going, we've got a week off between now and then, plenty of time to prepare ourselves for that game. And yeah, I think we'll be going out and everyone will be really, really focused. So, so yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think West Ham is the, is the perfect game to play. Um, they've, 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 they've also got the win against Fulham which uh, takes them a little bit out of that drop zone puts them three points clear with a game in hand Um, so I don't know what their mentality will be going into the Arsenal game I think 
as a West Ham player, you probably want to get the Arsenal game out of the way so that you can focus on the remainder. They're, they're obviously in the Europa League, sorry, the Europa, Europa Conference League as well. Um, and then their last few games, they've got Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, Leicester, Leeds. So they've got plenty of games where they can uh, reassure, reaffirm their Premier League status for next season. It's the Southampton one that worries me, really. Um, Friday night which I don't know, you know, I don't know whether whether you can look into that, but how much you can look into that. But this is a team that's fighting relegation for their lives. Um, And they they made it quite difficult for Southampton, sorry, for Man City in that first half before, you know, City kind of unleashed in the second half. But, I mean, some might argue that if they lose their next two games, that's it. And, you know, the next game that they've got is, is Crystal Palace. It's a Massive, massive game. Crystal Palace, who... And they've just yeah. beat Leeds 5-1 yesterday. So yeah. Yeah. it's... It, yeah, it, I guess it's Southampton. I'm kind of the opposite on that. I'm quite calm about Southampton at home. I always hate going away to Southampton. It's just a real bogey ground for us. Mm. But but yeah, the, the other thing is um, with West Ham, against Leeds, they rested some players, kind of hoping they would be fit for the Palace game, so kind of beat the teams around you. I I guess it depends how West Ham approach the game. Do they go into the Arsenal game with that mindset that they're already beaten, which does happen? Or do they go all out and think, we need to fight for every game now? So I guess it's how Moyes prioritises things. Also, it's it's, it's, uh, worth mentioning that they've got that that Europa Conference League quarterfinal tie with Ghent is sandwiched in between the Arsenal game or Arsenal sandwiched in between that, those two games. So they go away to Ghent and then they play us. And then the Thursday night, they, do. they play uh, the second leg at home. So that could play into our favour as well. Um, so yeah, everything's going for us as, as, in terms of the West Ham and the Southampton game because I didn't actually realise it was at home. But yes, it being a home game, we should actually absolutely blow them apart. And then the penultimate one against City at the Etihad. Um, what What's your feelings right now going into that game? Do you think, have you seen enough that shows you Arsenal can beat City at the Etihad? I, I don't think we need to beat City at the Etihad. I think we need to not lose that. So if, I, I think it's one of those I think we showed enough at the Emirates to show that we can beat City. I, I don't think, but I think if we come away with that game, from that game with a draw, knowing that City have got such an intense calendar ahead of them with potentially more Champions League games, the FA Cup, they've also got an extra league game to play. That really puts the pressure on them. And But yeah, we showed at the at the Emirates that we can beat them. And Keria had a couple of very, very big chances in that game that he missed, particularly the header he put wide in the first half. And again, those moments in games can completely swing a game. So I think it's it's a mental block right now. And I think the team will have come away from that game with enough confidence that they can go to the Etihad and potentially beat them. And the other thing to remember about the Etihad is it isn't Anfield. Anfield, you play the crowd, you play the ref. At City, you don't have that same 
kind of intensity from the the surroundings that you do at grounds like Anfield and Old Trafford. So you're obviously playing against arguably the best manager in the world and one of the best teams that we've seen, but you beat the team. And I, I don't think the atmosphere plays into it as much as other grounds. So where where do you stand on this? Um I'm I'm very much of the opinion that Arsenal can beat City and maybe should go into that game looking to beat City because I, I think this season alone anyway, we've we've played the best football in the league, maybe some of the best football in Europe. Um I think if we were in the Champions League this season we'd progress really far because of the way that we've been moving the ball around the pitch. I think City will be really um, nervous about that game because they, I mean, once upon a time it was us going into games really nervous playing against the big oppositions because for some reason we have that mental block that we were unable to get past. There was always always that glass ceiling, wasn't there? Where when you, when you play a City or a United or a Chelsea or even a Spurs, we crumble. But now yeah. th- th- that's that's not there anymore. We've, we've broken past that glass ceiling, and now we go into games looking to get all three points. I think going into this City game, if we if we manage to get William Saliba back and we play our strongest eleven, I think we can. I think three points are on the table. Um, it'll be amazing if we can come out with a single point because I do think that City will drop points somewhere. I think it was just, it's inevitable with the amount of games that they've got. Um, but even if we don't, even if we get a point, that will be enough for us to then go to the last five games. And again, the Newcastle game will be another big one. But Chelsea at home, Newcastle away, Brighton at home, Nottingham Forest away and Wolves at home do seem quite straightforward if we can just get through that um, you know, that City game. And it's amazing, isn't it, how the City, how the how the leagues kind of how it's how it's been planned out. Um, yeah, it's really well, I've weird. actually got a question for you. Yeah. So, given our record against the top six this season, do you not find it interesting that we keep hearing Arsenal have to play City and not City have to play Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, it doesn't surprise me though because I think all of the thumbnails, all of the title videos, and tweets and articles that have come out since the Liverpool game are. Arsenal dropping points or Granit Xhaka losing his head or Sinchenko, you know, in tears after Trent gets the better of him. Not the fact that it was an incredible game of football where two teams went at it. Not the fact that, you know, Liverpool did really well to um, get back into the game after a large spell of Arsenal dominance. That narrative is going to continue. And this is why, you know, <laughs> I'm dreaming of the moment where Arsenal finally get to lift the league title because I will be celebrating like there's no tomorrow. I'm taking <laughs> that celebration into next season. I'll be celebrating all season, shamelessly as well. I'm still celebrating 2004. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, do you know what? We, we deserve it because when, when you're up against not just the 11 players, not just the officiating, not just the punditry, but broadcasting companies, you know, that's something. That really is something. There, there isn't a single team in the league. And I don't know where this narrative has come from like at one at one point did um everyone decide that they were going to hate arsenal because it wasn't always like that but yeah, yeah. I, i've wondered that it's um 
it's it is I think it's the Arteta effect, see, isn't seeing, it? seeing Man United fans celebrating Liverpool beating us and seeing Liverpool fans celebrating Arsenal potentially dropping points towards a title is just bizarre that Strange. people seem to want City to win it given that they have done such a big job in destroying the way mm. we know the Premier League but but yeah looking at City's fixtures as well they still have to go away to Everton who I believe they drew with earlier in the season that the Yeti had yeah. and Sean Dyche is going to set up a double-decker bus there and have mm. everyone behind that ball making it so difficult for them they also have to go away to Brighton who <laughs> I'm glad we're not having to play Brighton again are we away this season We've obviously got them at home. Yeah. But but yeah, and they have to go away to Fulham, which isn't an easy ground either. So Well don't forget Brentford. Uh, they have to go away to Brentford. Oh as well. yeah, they, they have to go to Brentford on the, the last day, which Brent, they are all tough away games to have. So I, I think it's one of those to say like there was fans saying after Everton beat us that the title was over and City were gonna win it. It's just it, the, the old cliche of one game at a time, I think you're right that I think City are going to drop points at some point. I think they, unlike previous years, City haven't rotated as much as they, they used to. Their squad isn't as big. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they manage the Champions League and the Premier League. Because remember, De Bruyne and Gundahan are both in their 30s now. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm quietly hoping for them to progress into the semi-finals because I think that's where it will really heat up. Yeah. Um, and even if it means that they need to get through to the finals, so be it, you know. Um, but yeah, it definitely makes up for a very fascinating final eight or nine games of the season. Um, we're close. We're very, 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 very close. And actually, you know, having had that conversation with you about the last, you know, games that are remaining... I'm quite glad with the point that we got at Anfield because that was that was one of the fixtures that was glaring out um, of the calendar. And well, we you know we've got past it and we've we've avoided um, a defeat, which is good. <laughs> it means yeah. that, you know we're still in it. So um, yeah, all good. I, yeah, and I think the psychological side of not losing as well is very important. So so yeah, we go again against West Ham and hopefully pick up the three points and blow them away absolutely brilliant okay i think it's a great uh point to end the show um i want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been listening up until this point thank you very very much if you did enjoy this episode please do give us a five-star review on apple podcast and spotify let us know what you thought of the episode by reaching out to us on twitter you can find us over there at ask therapy pod you can also find me over there at gunner since 96 and don't forget to check out adam's channel channel Adam's page. Um, give him a follow. I'm sure you already are following him. But drop him a message as well and let him know how you thought he got on with the show and what you thought about some of the talking points. You can find him over there at Adam Keys underscore. Um, and of course, we will be back again, as always, for the next game, which is Arsenal versus well, West Ham versus Arsenal. Um, so yeah, we'll be back then. But until then, have yourselves a very good week. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you.